Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're going to love today's episode and you'll want to listen to the whole thing because we're talking about steroids, we're talking about different exercise techniques, we're talking about the mindset of food, we're talking about the mindset of exercise, uh, we're talking about even kratom, which is a new herbal substance that can help you with opiate addiction and a bunch of other stuff like that. So we cover this broad range of things and a really powerful ending for the show. So tune in for the whole thing. It is, it, it's just a fun interview and you're gonna enjoy listening to it. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that researchers have found some bacteria in your gut that can help you hack your athletic performance. We already know that your microbiome affects your energy metabolism, your inflammation response, and your neurological function. And funny enough, all of those are gonna impact your athletic performance. So it isn't that hard to hypothesize, but no one ever measured this before. So these researchers said, this is gonna matter for endurance, recovery, and probably mental resilience, which is a core part of, of what matters to me at Bulletproof. What they found is that in exceptional runners, there's a type of bacteria that breaks lactic acid down after extreme performance. So they just have so much of this present that they do that. Now, in my case, I hack my own lactic acid levels by exercising with compression stuff and ice on my arms because I want more lactic acid in my brain as a signal. But endurance runners have too much lactic acid, so they grow bacteria to help them dump the stuff which is incredibly cool. Does that mean you can be a better endurance runner if you take the right stuff? Maybe if you feed it, because it's about what you eat that feeds the bacteria. So if you're gonna take your probiotic, you better eat something they can also digest. They found another kind of bacteria that breaks carbs down and fiber down, and we all have those, but they found different ones in endurance runners. Typically, if you eat Bulletproof, you're gonna break your vegetables down into propionic acid, which is one of the short-chain fatty acids you can burn for fuel. So even though you're eating the right kind of carbs, they actually turn into fat before you use them, which is kind of cool, only if your bacteria work right. And they figured out in the study, at least they hypothesized that the individual microbiomes of these crazy athletes probably took decades to develop. So it might take you a little while to do this if that's what you wanna do, but it helps us understand as biohackers like this stuff really matters. What we don't yet know is how you can really precisely do this sort of thing. I'm pretty hopeful that my friends over at Viome, who now have the most detailed and precise map of what's going on in your gut that's ever been done for humans, that they're going to be able to do that. And you can head to Viome.com to find out stuff about that, uh, V-I-O-M-E. And you should look at the Bulletproof Radio episode with Naveen Jain, the CEO of that, who also is mining the moon for minerals. Kind of a cool guy. And... Before we launch into the show, everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. 
there's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. If you haven't had a chance to check this out, you probably don't know that Bulletproof makes coffee pods. So if you have something that takes K-cups, we've got your back. I'll tell you, you grind your beans. The Mentalist is my current favorite. That's like our medium dark roast. You grind them and you brew your coffee. You're going to get the very best coffee. That's, that's how all the experts do it. But if you're in a hurry, you're in an office, or you're in a hotel room, the coffee pods can save your life. So you're drinking the clean coffee that doesn't cause the crash that can happen from drinking a lot of the coffee that's out there. So check that out. If you didn't know it and you've got one of those machines, we've got you. All right. Today's guests are Mark and Chris Bell. Guys, say hi. How you doing? I'm Chris Bell. I'm a filmmaker. Mark right. Bell, powerlifter. Right? There we go. An entrepreneur. You, you guys, you guys stole my thunder here. But I'm, <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm hoping that that people learn to recognize your voices because it's tough when you're just listening. If I've got two people at the same time, so I'll try it to call. Similar sometimes too. Exactly. So Mark is a world and American record holder, power lifter. About three hundred thousand people follow what he does and uh, online on Instagram and all. And he could clearly crush me in his bicep right now if he wanted to. Uh, although I, I, got mad I, I might, I might be able to crush you with my calves. I've got yeah, you got calves. some big calves. It, it, I can't wear all pants, shaved too. up and sleek yeah. too. I might. No, have. they're just uh, they're electrically oh. stimulated. Oh, it pulls the hair off when you put electrodes on there. It's kind of painful. Uh, you built Super Training Gym, which Men's Health said was one of the thirty best gyms in America. So you're your guy knows a thing or two about picking up heavy things. Yeah, I've been lifting since I was twelve years old, and I'm going to be forty-one in December. So I've been doing it for a long time. And you also invented this thing called the slingshot, which I was just playing with, right. which is something you can use for changing your your physiology during push-ups. I just did 15 push-ups with this strange band across my chest, right. so that when you're at the very weakest part of the push-up, you need less uh, you need less muscle activation, which is a good thing because it protects your shoulders. So yeah. it seemed like a good move. It's a product I created because I tore my pec several times, uh, being a competitive power lifter and and pushing the envelope the way that I was. I went from you know bench pressing over 600 pounds. 700 pounds to an eventual 854 pound bench and in my training I started realizing that handling these amounts of weight with uh, both my arms pinned behind my pinned behind my midline of my body was causing a lot of stress in my pecs and I eventually uh, tore both of my pecs a total of three tears uh, to come up with the invention so I always say I'm probably the only patent holder that can claim that I've tore my pecs to make my product but the product is a supportive upper body device that allows you to handle more weight for more reps and more sets, which gets you more volume, gets you more work. Also can allow you to do a lot more work on the eccentric, the lowering portion uh, of the exercise. And in addition to that, it's helping you uh, with better form. So it's a cool hack, and, and we're not going to talk about that the whole show. Uh, mm-hmm. We have no affiliate or any of that kind of yeah. stuff. It's just a <laughs> guy who knows a lot about exercise and, and has done some cool stuff in the space. And on my other side here, we got Chris. This is a guy behind the documentaries Bigger, Stronger, Faster, uh, Trophy Kids, and Prescription Thugs. These are big name documentaries. You've seen one on HBO? Uh, HBO was Trophy Kids, and then the other ones are, are on Netflix. 
Okay, so in fact, I think most people listening have probably at least seen the name Bigger, Stronger, Faster. Like that's that's something almost everyone's interested in at least one of those things, <laughs> right? right so yeah. great, great name for a movie. Thank you. And you interviewed a lot of people around the world about this quest cool. for um, these, these different things. You know, just ten, how do we improve people? Yeah, like 10 years ago, I was obsessed with um, getting stronger. I was, I was still obsessed with uh, powerlifting. And I was obsessed with uh, the fact that I had this moral dilemma right in my own family. It was exhibited right in my own family. We have an older brother, Mad Dog. He actually passed away after we made Bigger, Stronger, Faster. But to go back, the reason why I made Bigger, Stronger, Faster is I was in the middle of two brothers and I wasn't sure what the, what the steroids were doing to them and how it affected them. And um, you know, in the end, I wanted to make a decision, like, is this something I, that I'd wanna get into or is it something that's really bad? You know, and that's sort of what the movie was about and that's sort of where it came about from. Now, 10 years later, we have different goals, which we'll talk about. It, it's, it's actually kind of cool. I want to talk about steroids and see what you guys think about sure. that. Uh, I'm, I've been just very openly using testosterone since I was 26 <gasps> years old. Oh, my God. And, and the reason for that is when I was 26, my mom had more testosterone than I did naturally. Oh, no. Which was a bit of a problem. Yeah. yeah. Right? So when I, when I started taking bioidentical physiologic replacement doses, not powerlifter doses, it's like, wow, like someone took the gloves off. My brain started working again, right? right. So, so people say, oh, that's a bad thing. I'll just tell you, when you're 70, if you have the testosterone levels of a 30-year-old, you're going to like your life. And if you have the testosterone levels of a 70-year-old that are normal, you're probably not going to like your life as much. That's just sure. how it is. So when we talk about steroids today, we're going to separate the anti-aging uh, kind of, we'll call it medical use of them versus the I want to do something my body can do. Right. I, I want full control of my biology. This is a tool set for that. Right. Uh, so that we'll, we'll talk about that. Sure. But we're going to talk about nutrition, keto, powerlifting, and exercise techniques. And I just I want to pick both your brains because you both have interesting perspectives. And your brothers, you grew up together. So it's got to be a good story you're going to tell us here, right? Absolutely. All right. Nuts. So let's start here, uh, Chris. You have a nickname for your little brother here. Uh, what, what's that? Yeah, uh, his nickname was always Smelly. <laughs> And um, the reason why I was... You probably noticed uh, when I came in. I say it in Bigger, Stronger, Faster. When we were young kids, he would just be out in the yard playing all day, be running around. He was just always active. And um, he was always sweaty and smelly. And so uh, he just sort of had that <laughs> I hate nickname. to take showers. You know, I was at that age where I didn't like, you know, 11 to 13 or so. He had that nickname and it kind of stuck, no pun intended. And then um, he went into pro wrestling when he was like in his 20s. So Mark actually wrestled. We actually found a guy named John Cena that we roped into pro wrestling. And uh, Mark was battling him basically every week and he needed a name. Mark Bell just didn't fit. So we started calling him Smelly. He'd be like, Smelly versus John Cena, right? Was like, <laughs> that was your pro wrestler name. That was it. The thing is, the, I was the, the kid only, that was picked on too much the only, couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> the only person that actually really liked the name Smelly was Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon got it. He was like, this is Vince's oh, so son. Guys like, yeah. can't be Everybody's smelly. like, your name can't be Smelly. And he's like, Macho Man or cool, you know, Ultimate Warrior. Like, it needs to be something cool. Smelly's derogatory, and Shane McMahon was like, "No, that's it." He was picked on, and that's so that's where it comes from. Wasn't one of the Spice Girls like Stinky Spice or something? Maybe I don't know. Scary, Sporty? scary. Oh, it was scary. scary. Yeah, it wasn't Stinky. Sorry, scary. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that. But but it's one of those things where it's a slightly negative thing. But it's also for wrestling. What the heck? Right. Who's going to forget Smelly? If right? the negative so motivates cool. you, then I guess it's worth it, right? That, that's cool. All right, Mark. You said you were twelve when you started lifting. Is this because you were called smelly? Like, 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 and I'm going to say something that's going to piss off some of my, my bodybuilding friends. There, there's something that happens, and I say this as a guy who used to weigh 300 pounds. And I'll also tell you, I never really felt uh, 
I always felt alone and I never felt very safe. Like there's some kind of looming threat that I right. couldn't identify. <laughs> so w there's two different ways you can compensate for that. Uh, and this is all unconscious behavior. Right. One of them is you get big because you're fat. And me, I had hormonal problems. I had toxic mold poisoning, but I also had some emotional stuff going on there. Right. And the other thing you can do is you can be like, I'm going to be invincible. I'm going to get big. Right. You know, I can pick a truck up. Is that what was getting you going when you were 12? Uh, Mainly it was my two older brothers that got me into lifting at first. Okay. Just because um, you were modeling older brothers who were doing a, that? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. It was a positive motivation. I was uh, probably about 12, and they were already showing me a little bit of, of strength training. They were showing me, my oldest brother, Mad Dog, was trying to show me how to squat, but I couldn't handle the weight being on my back. I was like, Shit, You're 12, that, right? I was like, ow, that hurts, you know? And mm -hmm. he's like, you're being a, you know. So <laughs> I had to kind of, uh, you know, I wanted to use that pad that they make for the mm -hmm. squat and Neither one of those guys were, were letting me have let me. We actually call it the pussy pad. We oh threw, we threw yeah, it in the garbage. I was like, <laughs> you know, they wouldn't let me use that. And so, uh, what happened was I was playing with my football, my favorite football. I had a New York Jets football. We're from New York. I'm throwing the ball up in the air, just playing playing with myself as usual. <laughs> and uh, a guy yells to me. He says, "Hey, Bell, throw me the football." I turn around, and it's a family like friend. He's actually like a friend of me. Like, we all hate him. He hates our family. We hate his family. And, uh, you know, flashback to, uh, you know, early 90s, late 80s. This guy's got the mullet. He's got the acid wash jeans. Nice. He's got the fanny pack. He's got, for some reason, he had biceps. I'm not sure why, but he's like 17 or 16. And so when I turn around and I see this guy who's kind of jacked with a mullet, I've seen him around before, and he's like, hey, throw me the football. I was like, oh, yeah, it would be cool to throw a football around with somebody. So I throw him the football. And he proceeds to catch it, turn around, and kick it as far as he can. He booted it into the woods, and I went to search for it and was never able to find the football. Aww. But from that moment on, you can flash to a uh, Rocky montage of me training in our garage, banging out some <laughs> curls and some bench press and banging out some push-ups. And at that point, I was kind of a fat kid, too. So um, mm. once I started to recognize, you know, it was years later, but once I started to recognize that you can really change your body through some of this, then I really fell in love with it. One of the things that can happen when kids lift heavy before their uh, before their bone growth plates fully seal is it can actually stunt bone growth. Right. So like my my kids are always like, especially my son is like, I I want to go do you know the ARX or I, yeah. I wanna, and I'm like actually you can do one exercise once a week right. because you could take inches off and also right. it, there's there's pretty good evidence that until you're you know until you're 18 or something right. you probably don't want to really go down that that path. Were you lifting really heavy, or you were just yeah, lifting? Yeah, for me, I started I started lifting heavy pretty early on. I was able to go into some competitions and break some like New York State records and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how much you know real science there is behind the bone thing. Uh, I don't know how much it affected me. Maybe it did. Rob well, you're me. you're the taller of the two brothers yeah, by about four yeah, inches maybe, or something. Maybe right? it did rob me a little bit, but I do but know that actually, when, you play, I, when we were younger, I I would squat. You know, six hundred pounds every single week. I had six hundred pounds on my back. Oh, so that and might so, have that yeah, might have, have affected me. Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe I wasn't strong. I was even uh, hurt myself at that. When point. we when we first got into it, mm -hmm. I was way stronger than him. I was always a okay. hundred pounds ahead of him and everything. Four years old. Yeah, bench got press okay. and whatever. But I was four years older. Got it. And I was like, he will never catch me. And so he would bench three fifty five. I'd bench four fifty five. Cool. You know, he'd bench four thirty. I'd bench you know five hundred or something. And it was always like just trying to push against you know uh well, it's brotherly competition stay right? stay ahead of him enough and then um there was a point where the the switch flipped he's like i'm moving to uh, ohio and i'm going to start training at west side barbell and then like and that with like started just 
He just started learning. Accelerated yeah. learning is what we call it, you know. Accelerated yeah. learning. He just was. He just took off, you know, and there was no catching him. We'll switch gears here. I didn't do this in the introduction, but you're really open. You're, you're doing a, a film about addiction, and you spent some serious time as an addict. Mm -hmm. When did that start? So um, I actually started when I went to college. Okay. Um, it was after your bodybuilding time. Yeah, well, I was, but you I didn't was really recognize it. Until I was powerlifting. I didn't recognize it. But the okay. first time I ever drank alcohol was 16 years old. And my friend dumped me off on the front lawn because he didn't know what to do with me. I was so drunk. I remember that. And um, <laughs> my parents went crazy. It was, and like, it was the first time I ever drank or whatever. And I told my dad 20 years later, I said, I should have known that that day. I should have known this is done. Like, this isn't for me. No, but, not a lot of 16-year-olds have that level of self-awareness. The, the prefrontal cortex isn't wired yet, so don't blame yourself. And, it, and, it, and it, didn't, it didn't start fast. It started really slow. I was the kid. I was a powerlifting champion in high school. And I went to a community college. And I was, like, still competing in all these... Uh, powerlifting meets and then I went to USC film school and when I went to California and I was sort of like on my own for the first time and sort of allowed to party I was like oh this is fun and then girls came into the equation and the girls like to drink and it just became this thing where I traded uh my powerlifting career for like a social life right you know and for me I think that was probably a bad move like I just sort of kept going down that path but what really happened that really um after I did, after, I wasn't ever that bad. I would binge a lot, I would, should say. But I wasn't ever really that bad until I had my double hip replacement surgery at 33 years old, which was like 10 years ago. Is that a result of bad powerlifting form? Like what That's happened? a result of genetics. My father yeah. had um, hip surgery at 17 years old. And uh, Mark never had the same issues that I had. I had yeah, arthritis pain, so bad. Nothing I, like he had. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't walk ever since I was young. I could, okay. never, I could never run. You know, I've never run a lap in my life because I can't. So Got it's it. like, you know, I had to deal with these things all the and, time. And you had chronic pain going on then, too. And chronic a lot pain, of chronic pain. I, I had arthritis in my knees since I was 14, and it's it's gone now, has been for 10-plus years. But, yeah, that just you're used to hurting all the time. So that you makes you more likely. The other thing is, though, yeah. all the things that I've learned in the past, like, year are all anti-inflammation, how to get rid of it. <laughs> and it's like every single thing I was doing caused inflammation. Yeah. Well, so what changes did you make in the last year? Uh First change I made was uh, just going on a, back to a ketogenic diet. Okay. It's something that when I was powerlifting, it always worked. I have a friend named Ron Fedko. He's actually the head of computer science at Stanford now, mm -hmm. but he was a powerlifter. He squatted over 800 pounds at 198 pounds. He was the most amazing lifter I've ever seen. And he just said, he came up to me in Gold's Gym one day, and we were we were training. He said, "You're just way too fat. You, you weigh about <laughs> 240 pounds, and you're like, you know, you're like five six. He's like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just thought I was powerlifting." He's like, no, 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 you got to get down under 200 or you can't train with us anymore. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I've never been under 200 since I was in high school. And he's like, uh, get ready. You go write this down. Get a, go get a pen. I'm going to tell you how to get down under 200 pounds. I'm like, okay. And I come back and I got a pen and a piece of paper. He goes, write this down. Red meat and water. <laughs> and he walked away. pretty high protein. He walked away. Yeah. And I was like, what? So he's like, I want, you, I want you to do that. So I did that for the next like two weeks. I had a meet coming up. And what do you know? I slipped right into the weight class underneath me, and I won the meet. It was a California State Championships. I'm like, man, that, like there's something about that, yeah. right? Like you're right. It is probably the wrong version of. of uh, you were in ketosis, but you were in a high protein ketosis. Yes. Which, as a power lifter, you were using the protein. Yeah. But you, you know, over a long period of time, a high protein keto, if you can pull that off, man, it's going to chew up your kidneys, right? Ron yeah. also had an interesting twist on his diet, where he would allow for some fruit. Yep. So he said, if you felt like having carbs, he's like, eat a couple pieces of fruit. Well, so after fruit was like, I should say it. after mm -hmm. after the meat, 
he put me on a rate like a more balanced diet yeah. where he added in like a bunch of vegetables and whatever. And so I was eating more of a cyclic uh, ketogenic diet that actually went with my workout plan, which is really unique. So on like Thursday, I was allowed to eat some fruit just a little bit yep. and, and some carbs just a little bit. And then we would deadlift on Friday and deadlift was like always the most brutal, you know, day. So we had a little bit of carbs the day before and sort of made sense on paper. It, oh, it does make sense off paper too. And, and, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, bulletproof diets is zero carb diet. I'm like, what, did you read the book? Yeah. Like, no, it's not because the body will use some carbs. And I give my kids, it's summer. You're supposed to eat ripe fruit right. in summer. And so if they have a piece of fruit after dinner, great. That's I'm fine a, with it. But if they have six pieces of fruit a day and you blend it into a smoothie, that's right. just not a good move. I'm a huge fan of the ketogenic diet, but I'm also a bigger fan of being more open-minded. And uh, I'm a huge fan of like Bulletproof because I, I try to introduce people to the ketogenic diet in the softest way possible. Are you saying that because you're on my show? Or like no, this? no, no. That's the reason why I wanted <laughs> to come right. here. There's okay. a reason why we're right, actually... Just, you, you, you said you don't do this often where yeah. you get people here. There's a reason why we wanted to come just here. Just don't feel like you have to plug it. No, but no, no, if no. that's what you're actually well, doing, that's cool. Well, what I'm, what I'm telling you is I've switched over to uh, telling people. I, I love Rob Wolf's stuff. I read a lot of his stuff. So I actually recommend more Bulletproof, Wired to Eat. Like, hey, read these books. I think they'll be really good for you to figure out what you need in your diet rather than just trying to go straight keto because it's, it's really difficult for a lot of people right off the bat. It, it is tough. And, and it's not sustainable necessarily for a lot of people unless you have a disease, right? We've talked about that. If you have epilepsy, it is amazing how easy it is to stay in ketosis because seizures suck. My mom had epilepsy mm-hmm. uh, most of her life and so I, I've, I've seen that effect firsthand. So it's a strong motivation. You have like autoimmune inflammation. If you're not in ketosis, it hurts all the time. Mm-hmm. All right, those are very strong, very strong signals. Uh, but I, I find that that I'll go to, like I, I gave a keynote at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. So there's a room full of 3,000 doctors. Yeah. They all know about ketosis. A third of the talks are about ketosis for aging. And I raise my hand, how many of you know about ketosis? You know, and of course, everyone. How many of you are in ketosis now? And like 20 hands go up. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we got a room for like the most learned people here who know it's good for them and they're not doing it. Sure. And what I found too is that unless you, you know, live in a cave, if you have a job or you have a family, staying in ketosis all the time religiously, it, it's as hard as being a raw vegan, which I was for a long time too, right? It, it is a huge commitment, right? Yeah. So, so like you said, the soft entry, and, and that's one of the things that I, I really worked on. But also I feel like uh, there's a, st- a sustainability there. Um, if you tell people like, look, you can never eat fruit again, you know? And it's not true. It's, it's really hard to, to somebody to stick to that diet, right? So uh, I, I like that it's a little bit more open-minded and allows you to have these things because by we we've gone both ways like we we've done we've done the strict keto diet done all kinds of different stuff and i've also, done what's the goal you know if the goal is to have someone start to lose some weight usually when you lose weight you become healthier and you mm-hmm. mentioned that at the age of 26 having your testosterone messed up but i think you've also mentioned being very heavy oh yeah 300 pounds a, sucks yeah at a very young age so like maybe maybe the food you're eating or contributing to the poor who knows genetically it's hard to say but yeah. Uh, I, whenever you lose weight, you become healthier. So something as simple as telling someone to get to sleep on time, start drinking more water, just these little things, use some intermittent fasting, use some bulletproof intermittent fasting. It's like that's not that big of a change for, uh, for your diet because I'm not asking you to really change anything you're eating. Um, pulling out some, uh, you know, not drinking any more sugar, not drinking any Coke or Pepsi or beer or wine or things like that. Like There's these small changes that you can start with. You don't have to be all in from day one. Yep, it's you're always going to be on some diet because you eat. So it's just a matter of, of like right. where on the spectrum are you? And and one of the big things for me, 
having tried like you guys hundreds of diets and, and you know for me gaining 20 pounds losing 20 pounds gaining 30 pounds losing 20 so just kind of stair stepping up like every fat person ever who's tried to lose weight yeah. will do this until they find something that sticks um, but the the difficulty that you go through there is is that once you're not perfect, you're off a diet and then you lose. And when you just reframe that, you're like, no, you're always on a diet. Like how close to perfect right. are you? And if you say, I'm only going to be perfect, you've already failed. Because you're like, oh, I had red meat. Oh, but was it grass-fed? Yes. Oh, was it grass-fed organic? Yes. Was it uh, raised by small children? Yes. You know, were they enlightened? Small? You can, <laughs> like, like it doesn't matter. You can always be more perfect. And screw that noise. Sure. That's an eating disorder. <laughs> You can have a lot of anxiety built yeah. up towards that, which is going to not allow you to probably lose fat anyway. Totally. That's, that's interesting that you say it's an eating disorder yeah. because I felt like uh, for a while when I first started keto at the beginning of this year, I had an eating, eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I had two kinds of eating disorders. First of all, I had a really bad relationship with food. Yep. And I listened to Rob Wolf's book and he's like, that's the problem. You have a relationship with food. He's like, you shouldn't have a relationship with it. It's just, a, it's just there. You know? And he's like, figure out what you need and, and go get it. And that just opened my mind a little bit. A lot of the neuroscience stuff that I do, and I run 40 Years of Zen, this, this neuroscience thing for execs, uh, you realize that that you're constantly telling yourself a story and that the nature of the brain itself is it's a pattern matching system that predicts the future. And if the future doesn't match what you predict, mm-hmm. then you notice. Otherwise, it's invisible mm-hmm. to you. Like, yeah. It's fascinating, the tricks we play. But the story that almost everyone has about food at some level or another it's entirely made up because food's inanimate unless you're eating something that's still alive, which is unusual. Uh, so what, what's going on there is, is there is no story that's real. It's all you predicting the future. It's all what you're saying to yourself. And if that narrative or that pattern matching system or that prediction for the future is wrong, you're going to look at the food. You're going to predict that when you eat the food, it's going to make you feel loved or it's going to make you feel safe or it's going to do something. And it's all bullshit, right? You just, but until you recognize that that's happening, and you can do that in keto, you can do that eating a whole foods diet, you can do that as a, a raw vegan, and you can do that eating the standard American junk food diet. It, it doesn't matter. The story is part of the equation. It's all things you made up. And I, what I share with people all the time is that you're one meal away from being back on your diet. You're one meal away from being out of it. But it's okay because if you're if you're gonna eat, you're gonna eat some chocolate cake. You're gonna just have, go crazy, eat some ice cream, pizza, whatever. You're just one meal away from being back in. That's not a huge, you don't have to like, you don't have to beat yourself up over it. Enjoy it. It's done with. Move on. Well, this is an interesting question for you. You know, as a power lifter, I, in the, the mid 90s, uh, when I was really looking at, all right, how am I going to lose this weight? And, and having, you know, 18 months in the gym, six days a week, half weights, half cardio, not losing any weight. So I, I really started digging in on all this stuff. And one of the, the things I read was a book by Rob Fagan called Natural Hormonal Enhancement. It's one of the first like, like steroid-free bodybuilders. Yeah. And he really introduced me to some of the ideas that I've evolved over the, these years. And he though had like a, a cheat day sort of thing, but it was, it was different than you know, the, the four-hour work week kind of cheat day where it's like you know, eat a bucket of crap. And, and <laughs> I, used, I used to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think a, a lot of bodybuilders do. But yeah. I found out like I'd eat my crap on Friday night I had this thing in uh, in the Bay Area. It was a place called Max's Opera Cafe, and it was like a layer of cheesecake, a layer of chocolate mousse, a layer of chocolate cake. Just hitting it hard. Have that, a <laughs> loaf of bread, and some sort of whatever was on the menu. And you're like, yeah. I'm so happy now. But then, I was okay on Saturday, kind of okay on Saturday. And Monday, I was an absolute zombie. But so there's like a multi-day effect. And so I, I just tell people, look, you can have a day where you eat more carbs, right. but if you just eat crap, 
you're going to spend four out of seven days of the week recovering from your sure. cheat meal. Yeah, but, I call it a food hangover. Okay, so so I was saying, where did where did you start with that? Because really, powerlifters, uh, guys who lift a lot of weight, yeah. spend a lot of time in the gym, they're kind of notorious for like, I had pizza and beer, but I'm going to work it off. Like, what's what's your take on that now that you're a little older? You know, it's very hard. You know, uh, outside the gym, being an entrepreneur and and wanting to chase multiple things down at the same time. Uh, as a powerlifter, as somebody that I wanted to be the strongest person in the world, like that was my goal at the time, and to have that goal, to have that singular focus, I had to not even really care about the food that I ate in a sense of getting bigger. So that was really hard to try to detach myself. Now looking back at it, I could have done all of that in a much smarter fashion as well. I could have used healthier foods, but I intentionally made myself fat. Got all the way up to about 330 pounds. As I, each 10 pounds I gained, I kept getting stronger and stronger and yeah. stronger, even proportionate to my body weight. But once I went from about 300 to about 330, I had diminished returns. And at that point, I was just like, holy shit, I'm just fat. <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm, not, I'm not executing on what I originally set out to do. Like, what am I doing? And you look around at the other powerlifters and stuff, and they're all kind of doing the same things because we got way too deep in something that initially starts out fairly healthy. I'm going to get bigger. I'm going to get a little stronger or so, like a cyclist that eventually uh, turns into a competitive, competitive cyclist. It can at some point be dangerous. It can compromise your health. It'll shorten your telomeres. Uh, the, those things, yeah. as your cells divide, if you yeah. have long telomeres, you live longer. And if you do extreme right. endurance, it feels good. You get the opiate high, but you are, you are probably taking some years off your life. And then in terms of the actual food and, uh, you know, trying to eliminate that relationship with food was important. Um, I try to share with people, try not to eat in front of a screen because if you're eating in front of a screen and you're, you're watching TV and you're just gobbling down food, you're not really thinking about it. You're not paying attention to any of your digestion. You're not paying attention to chewing. Um, so I had to start to really try to really think about what I was doing. I'm like, you know, when I started to lose weight and started to have these cheat meals, you know, we would call it like it was like a full day. Well, remember, we, we, used to, we used to call it operating from home. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we would leave the gym. We'd be done at the gym, and we'd go right to Dunkin' Donuts because we lived in New York. Bunch yeah. of we'd buy a dozen donuts, and we'd oh, kill God. them on the way home. Pizza. Candy. Every, everything that's toxic and bad for you, yeah. we would shove in our face that whole day. Easily 10,000 and, and we would gain 10 <laughs> pounds in one day, and then we'd lose that 10 pounds in another day. That can't be good for you. Right. So when yeah, you're younger, it, it wasn't like, fat. Oh. Like the ten pounds it's was water. inflammation. It's a water like you just got inflamed, yeah. right? And and that's one thing that drives me nuts. You know, the, the and I'll, I'll tell you, it says on the cover of Bulletproof Diet, you know, lose a pound a day kind of thing. Well, yeah, you can lose a pound a day on any ketogenic diet for about four or five days because right. you're just like, oh, I'm getting rid of inflammation. Ketones are anti-inflammatory. But it's what happens after that where, okay, now I got rid of the water, the inflammation, then is the fat going? I have an interesting question on that. Sure. Um, so, you know, like Dr. Stephen Finney, I was watching a thing with him the other day and he said, I've been on a ketogenic diet for 10 years. My yeah. weight has stayed rock solid for nine. Right. And as somebody who's trying to get leaner and lose weight, I've been on a ketogenic diet for... I don't know, eight months pretty much straight, you mm -hmm. know, and um, and my weight is rock solid, like 185. It just won't go down. And I'm like, is it calories? Because then I listen to all these, you know, read all these audio, these books and listen to audio books and people say, oh, calories don't matter. It's hormones. And so what does matter? What am I, what am I doing? Well, it, it's, it's interesting because if you put someone in a, in a, in a chamber that measures their poop, 
<laughs> the calorie count go. of your Here poop. Here we go. Yeah. Calorie count. You knew we were going to talk about poop. Uh, the, the calorie count of, of your pee, the heat in the room that you're making. Uh, there, there's, there's incredible levels of detail there. And you can make the argument that calories count. Right? The problem is that in the real world, the reason calories don't count there's there's two prime examples here. One of them comes from the ranching industry. And I studied a lot of meat production. We have grass-fed collagen protein. I have three lambs. I don't know if you saw them coming yeah, out of the front yard. So like, yeah, like I actually- over by accident. They, were they out of their enclosure? Yeah. <laughs> they keep knocking down the electric fence. Anyway, so you guys know I really am an organic farmer here. These guys are witness. So um, what commercial ranchers will do is they look at something called feed efficiency, which frankly shouldn't exist. So, and this is how fat can the animals get on how few calories? So wait, they're getting fat on less calories? Do they make more money if they do that? Yeah. So they take something that is actually a mold toxin. It's called zeralinone, and it's concentrated into a little waxy pellet that goes in the cow's ear. It's called xeranol. They put it in the cow's ear, and magically their feed efficiency goes up by 30%. They get fat on one-third less calories. Wow. Okay, so if, you, if that is possible, then it's not about the calories. Like, like that is point positive. It just, you cannot say it's, it's a calorie equation, except if you lock the cow or the person in a chamber and you limit calories, they will probably lose weight, but they won't all lose weight at the same rate. Right? Yeah. Which is also, wait, how is this possible? And there's some interesting, interesting theories about water chemistry, mitochondrial efficiency, all sorts of interesting stuff going on there. So what's going on with you is I would hypothesize that you may have one of the genetic things, MTHFR is a common thing I've written about that I've talked mm. about it. And a lot of times when people don't respond, some of your mitochondrial pathways are blocked. And your mitochondria's job is to take food and oxygen and actually light. But should I be losing energy. weight or should I be rock steady you, at a certain weight? You should be, well, you've got some extra pounds. I mean, yeah. you lift your shirt up I earlier. I can still lose a lot of fat. Yeah, you probably so. have like 20 pounds or so, 25 Absolutely. pounds maybe, yeah. would you say? So you, you play around with the amount mm. of food you eat. There's nothing wrong with eating less calories. The problem is that if you rely on your willpower to, to eat less calories, you are going to, to lose. The reason you'll lose is you lose 20 pounds and then you'll gain 30. That's what happens. So you have to find a way to cut the calories back without hitting your willpower reserves. Willpower also takes energy, the same energy that's coming from your mitochondria, the mitochondria that are screaming that you don't have enough energy. In fact, the energy that should be going into your brain and into moving mm and all that stuff into your muscles. Some of it's getting stored as fat when you don't want it to be and you want that energy to be available. So there is a mitochondrial thing behind weight loss always. Is it your thyroid? I don't know, have you done advanced thyroid panels? Actually, um, I should just be honest with you. I was on, um, so I was. I just hated being fat. Yep. And I started taking a T3 for a while. Yep. And I, you know, my doctor was like, hey, sure you can take it, whatever. And I started taking it and um, I would actually take more of it. It's a thyroid hormone. Are you right? And I and and so I, I lost a lot of weight by um by by just taking T three, right? Did you stop? Well, I so what happened was I jumped into doing keto and I'm like, I just need to get off this T three. it's making me sweat a lot. It was this I just didn't feel good on it. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just stopped at cold turkey. Everybody said, You're gonna gain fifty pounds. I didn't gain an ounce. And I still have it, you know, I guess my, so, uh, but I think that's maybe why I'm not losing. That's probably why you're not losing. My guess is you were taking too much if you were sweating, but given that you were on it, your body's going to take a while to, to regulate sure. your thyroid function. And I've been to my doctor since and everything. I'm trying to work with him on yeah. figuring it out. We just haven't figured so it out. So you might need yet. a low dose T3 or something like that. And my guess, given your history, like you've got something going on because, you know, it wasn't just the social stuff. Maybe it was all emotional that got you addicted, but mm-hmm. quite often there's physiological stuff. Like we're self-medicating because there's a hardware problem. 
Uh, I just finished an interesting interview uh, with a guy uh, formerly from USC's neurology department saying like, like everyone who has uh, these kind of things going on has a traumatic brain injury, either from chemicals or from hitting their head, even as a small child. Like that stuff affects your hormones, affects your weight gain. So it, it's a holistic thing there. And I wish I could tell you, you know, do this one thing. I can tell you that if, if you can make it so you want less food and you eat less food, the odds of losing weight go up. But if your thyroid's jacked, you'll be just like I was. 1,800 calories, working out you know, as much as I can every day. Didn't lose a pound. I, I could bench press more, but sure. I couldn't lose a pound. So you may be in, in a situation like that, and that's where you've got to get your labs. You've got to understand what's going on there. Yeah. There's also a uh, parasite you can have. And I haven't talked about this. I've been wanting to do an episode on this for a while, but I'll out myself here. Mm-hmm. So, so during the testing phase of the Bulletproof Diet, before I published this, uh, I I went like really heavy on all the different things I could test, including doing about four to five thousand calories a day, mm. and just pounding it. But it was very keto when I was doing that. Lots of bulletproof coffee, and I thought I was going to gain a little bit of weight, and, and I slept five hours or less per night. Like it, it was ridiculous. And I did this to sort of say, look, I'm going to gain three pounds, but the math says I should gain twenty pounds. Clearly, the equations don't work, and I actually lost weight. And I, I felt really good. I did this for 18 months. When I was starting Bulletproof, I was a VP at a big company, and I started Bulletproof. <laughs> and it was because I was sleeping less, and I was just like using this energy. It was, it was nuts. And people still say that's not possible. I'm like, I don't know. It kind of is what happened. But during that time, I had this dialed in. I, it was consistent. And all of a sudden, I gained 25 pounds in about five weeks. And I'm like, what just happened? And it turns out I had, a, I had picked up some kind of, I travel all the time, I picked up some kind of a parasite. Uh, I want to say it was blastocystis. And I was like, the bulking parasite. Yeah. And you know about this? I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, what the heck? So I, 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 good thing I'm a biohacker. I know the right people. I tracked it down and I took the, the drugs to kill it and the weight was gone in like two weeks. Wow. But so you could have something like that going on. There's even a virus that makes you fat that comes from chicken. And if you get that, like you're just gonna you're gonna be fat. And fat virus. Yeah. So so there's weird stuff going on that we don't necessarily know right. about. That's part of it. So long answer. It's a great excuse. I caught this fat virus. Yeah. How much chicken? Yeah. yeah. I think I'm getting scratched by chickens. But there's stuff we haven't paid attention to. But you might look at your gut biome. Get the biome test. That's gonna you tell know, that, you more. Than the, that's the next the next step was uh, after learning as much as I could about uh, the ketogenic diet. Now I dove into the gut biome and I'm realizing all the stuff that's you know, in there. And our next documentary, Mark and I are going to make a documentary together, and that's why we're here talking to you too, is uh, we want to explore all this stuff. I, I I never realized that your gut microbiome meant anything. Now I'm realizing it might mean everything. Uh, it means a lot because there's another microbiome inside you. And I'm supposed to be interviewing you guys, but I got to get in my soapbox for a second here because this is like... No, this is great. I, 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 I love it. Well, I, I spent a couple of years writing Headstrong and really like... Great book, by the way. Com- oh, thank I, you. I did love it just comprehending the, the mitochondrial thing that's going on. And, and the way I view the body now is you're a Petri dish and you've got a quadrillion ancient bacteria and you're managing their biome. So it's your mitochondrial biome and that includes the environment around you. And then you have a gut microbiome and there's actually less bacteria in their gut than there are mitochondria in your body. But there's more bacteria in your gut than there are cells in your body. So if we believe we're a collection of cells, it's one thing. If we believe we're a collection of mitochondria, it's a different thing. So what you're trying to do here is manage your gut biome because it talks to your mitochondrial biome. And if that communication is disrupted, and you can disrupt it with LED lights in your bedroom, like there's all kinds of things you can do sure. uh, by you know, diet sodas and crap like that, all sorts of stuff. So it, it's, it, it is a complex thing, but I'll tell you, if you keep playing with it, you keep looking at the data, and you keep measuring what works and what doesn't work for you, 
I don't know anyone who can't lose weight on that stuff. But for some of us, like where I was, I'm like, I've, like I'm really working hard here. Like I, every ounce of extra energy I have goes into this, and it's not moving. It can be really frustrating. Sure. But you know, you'll you'll get it. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> All right. This this is back, Mark, to you. All right. I was reading about some of your training routine stuff, and mm-hmm. you're a little bit insane. So you do sometimes yeah. hill running. All right, hill running. I've seen that alligator tango, a bodyweight circuit. So I teach my kids bodyweight stuff. Chinese self hand slap torture, uh, grape juggling, uh, interval cardio on treadmills. I'm all over intervals. And you recite yeah. William Blake poetry backwards in Dutch. All right. Only when I'm drunk. Oh, only when you're drunk. All right. Yeah. So speaking of <laughs> hacking, somebody hacked my uh, Wikipedia. Uh-huh. So that's where that information comes Is from. Is that not true? I, it's 100%. Yeah, it's 100% not true. <laughs> it was actually me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I read that. Somebody's like, hey, your Wikipedia. Your Wiki- that's where I read it, yeah. Oh, my God. I was reading. I'm like, who wrote this? Whoever did is a genius. So if anybody's listening to this, you did a great job. And it was so funny. Wikipedia is 99.5% right, they say. So that's the other 0.5. Yeah, that's the other 0.5. Wikipedia is interesting, too. I was like, oh, my God. There's actually a strong bias on Wikipedia against uh, functional medicine. It, it, there's, really? you know, there's about 500 people who are like the real heavy editors. And it's 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 definitely not an unbiased it's, encyclopedia. It's influenced. It yeah. is highly influenced. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I, cool. I think I think we can do better. But there's a lot of almost like Reddit like trolling behavior amongst people who do commenters. One of my one of my uh, good friends is uh, one of those 500, and yeah. and you're like, wow, is that really like? <laughs> a lot of like 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 political intrigue yeah, yeah, and all. Check your so sources. so basically, guys who are editing uh, on Wikipedia and, and the friend of mine, you know who you are. Uh, you gotta fix. You gotta fix Mark Bell's. <laughs> he got a little. He got a little. I, I was kind of. I was like grape juggling. I could see a neurological thing because ju- yeah. I actually do juggling on a balance thing uh, t- for cross patterning. And I was like, I, I don't think I can figure out juggling. It's. Brain work. I, I keep. Our dad can juggle. I keep dropping him. So juggling is great for you. I don't know what self hand slap torture is. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, I can tell you, uh, NBC Dateline interviewed me. While I'm playing, you saw the robot ping pong table downstairs? Yes. So, so Daniel Amen, uh, you know, the change your brain, change your life guy, uh, who really did change my life. Um, he's like, Dave, he looked at me and says, just get a ping pong table. I'm like, really? Yeah. So I, I have this robot thing, and it'll serve ping pong balls fast. So they got me on camera. There's like this whole crew and like, you know, stacks of lights and all this crap. And like we're going to interview you while you're doing high speed ping pong, like, oh. and I'm like, okay, can I do this? Yeah. And I got to tell you, as a cognitive workout, being able to pay attention to balls and speak, and I never said um or stuttered, which was like my my win for the week. Wow. But but it was so I, I was like, okay, maybe really you're, you're like doing hard things. Yeah. So you, this whoever wrote this, I, I'm like, I could almost see this. So it, you you got me, whoever the, the editor is. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, let's talk about community because you know you run you know, one of those top thirty gyms. Yeah. Oh, you started it. Are you still running it? Yeah, okay, absolutely. You're, you're still running it. So talk about community and what that does for just for exercise in general, whether or not it's for powerlifting. Uh, first of all, I think it's always a good idea to enter anything. Try to do it with somebody else and put things out in the universe and tell people. If you're going to try something like the Bulletproof diet, you're going to try any ketogenic diet or anything like that, I think it's always a good idea to share with somebody else. Maybe you can get somebody else to do it with you. Like, yeah, I'll do it with you. My brother and I, we started the war on carbs a few years back, and we, uh, we shook hands on it and everything. And it's good to be accountable for things. So at my gym, Super Training Gym, which I started in 2006, uh, what really makes the gym unique, what makes the gym different is that everybody there has 
a very similar goal. We all want to get stronger. And we know that if we invest time into each other, that that's going to help us get stronger. It's going to help the individual get stronger. So sometimes people will come in there and they'll be like, I don't want to get in anybody's way because they're intimidated by the weights that we're moving around. But the biggest way to get in someone's way is to not do any work. You know, to sit off in the corner is, is number one way to not participate and to not help what everybody's doing. So the number one way is to get moving and to work on yourself. And while you're working on yourself, he's going to encourage me to do a certain weight. I'm going to encourage him to do a certain weight. And so we all end up helping each other out. The gym is also free. Super training is a place that I have, there's no way for me to pay back super training gym. It's like a lab. You know, I've been able to test all my products in there and, and test my own training methods in there. And so I get so much back from the gym uh, it's hard to ever ever repay any of that. But so anyone can just show up. You're saying, or do you? Yeah, like, we, well, we make it we make it a little bit complicated. But yeah, <laughs> just about anybody can show up. They usually hit us up on Instagram, or they'll email us, or something like that, and then we just kind of vet them. But um, any Sunday, anybody can come through the doors and check out the gym, and uh, we try to be open. Like lifting and exercising is hard enough as it is. We don't need it to be harder. We don't need diet to be any harder than it already is. We don't need. Uh, anything to be more negative than it already is. So I'm trying to create a lot of positivity, and by having that positivity, it helps create a community of people that will literally do anything and everything to not only ensure their own success, but other people's success as well. We're about to move the gym. The gym is in a 2,500-square-foot facility, and we're moving to a 23,000-square-foot facility. And wow. The second that we move, the whole team's going to be like, yep, I'm there, I'm helping. Like, no one's going to be complaining. The last time that we moved, I barely touched anything because everyone's whipping around so fast, grabbing mats and the squat racks and so on, moving everything around. I, I see a lot of people. I used to do this one when I'd go to the gym. This is, you know, when I was doing my six days a week sort of thing. I'd put in the headphones, you know, put on a baseball hat, and, and like, yeah. I wouldn't make eye contact with them. I'm like, I'm just here to, to do this. It's sort of the opposite thing, and I was a little bit Asperger's back then, so... <laughs> that, that could have that could have affected yeah. things, but I mean, I, I see a lot of people go to the gym with headphones, and it's it's almost like they're avoiding avoiding community. The, the gym uh, exercise is supposed to make you feel better. Right. Not, I think everyone thinks I'm going to go in there and I'm going to torture myself and I'm going to kill I'm, it. I'm going to kill yeah. it. I'm just going to yeah, you know, I'm going to beat my body up because it's good for me. Right. And yeah, to, to some extent, it is good for you, um, but you shouldn't be lifting angry. You should be lifting happy be exercising happy it should be maybe you don't want to do it every single day but that's kind of the reason why we have other people there to make you accountable for showing up because he might not want to show up on a certain day maybe he's down maybe his girlfriend broke up with him or something yeah. and I can pick him back up and say hey let's let's this this is important to us you know you've already said this is important to you you're on a mission to lose weight you're on a mission to look better and to feel better let's make each other accountable and we can yeah we can worry about other stuff we can cry later on you know we can worry about that stuff later but we don't even allow headphones in my gym. We're not allowed to wear headphones. So people can play whatever music they want. They could rage and go as crazy as they need to. Uh, but you're not allowed to be off in a corner by yourself. You have to participate in everybody else's workout. And the, the no headphone rule, like I, I was shocked. I was in the gym training because I live in L.A. And we live in Sacramento. Like, got headphones on. He comes up to me. He's like, hey, no headphones. I'm like, I'm your brother. Like, you're, he's like, no, no, no. no. Yeah, you're, in my, you're my brother, but you're in my gym. No headphones. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I thought about it. And then... Uh, when I got off the I plane, want to communicate with when you. I got off the plane uh, this week to go, because I flew up to see him first before we came here, 
And I get off the plane, I'm so tired, and I walk into the gym, and he just hands me a hip circle. He goes, here, put this on, let's go, we're starting. And I wasn't even planning on working out, I'm like, I need to get we there, get I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna take, <laughs> I'm gonna take a nap, I'm gonna blah, blah, yeah. and I'm with Lauren, and he's like, hands her a hip circle too, let's go. And we just start walking around the gym. My hips were, like, I have two fake hips, I could barely walk, I could barely move. That hip circle is so great for just getting, getting your hips moving, that I was like, okay, now that my hips are moving, I'm gonna do a full workout. And we just went crazy, and it was because it was a community, because it was me and my girlfriend and my brother. It just felt so good to be in that zone with them. A few times during the workout, he said, I can't, I can't, you know, and and that's fine because there's going to be stuff that you really struggle with. He's like, no, I'm in a a lot of pain. I'm like, well, there's so many exercises to choose from. There's no reason for us to put you through a lot of pain, so let's have you just do this. Um, We do a lot of stuff in my gym that I consider to be uh, immediately scalable is what I call it. So if, if we're gonna do an exercise such as a farmer's carry, which is just walking with weights, uh, what age group can walk with weights? Any, Any age group can walk with weights. As long as you have the ability to walk, you can walk with, with a little bit of weight. So maybe somebody only picks up 10 pounds, but maybe somebody else is using 100. Maybe it's, it's two immediately pounds. scalable. Uh, we don't need to trade weight. We don't need to switch things out. We don't need to do anything. I have sleds and things like that that you can, we use a, uh, this one thing called the tank, and we push this thing, and it's got these different levels. It's on wheels. It's brutal. So everyone's like, oh, this thing's going to be really easy. You jack the level of the thing up, and you push it, and it feels like you're pushing uh, a five-ton truck. So, wow. But I can scale it to anybody. I can lower it back down, and somebody can put it in neutral, and they can just walk with it. So i, I got to ask, no headphone rule, uh, this is a bunch of dudes, right? How many women come to your gym? <laughs> yeah, there's maybe about five women or so. I mean, they pop in and out here and there, but, you know. Because that, that's one of the problems in, in gems is I've heard this over and over. Women from, are a big problem. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I was going with that. Oh, but, oh, but there's a lot, Sorry, of, Andy. lot of bulletproof uh, women uh, who, who you use bulletproof coffee and, and, and they're getting the benefits. But they talk about going to the gym and they're like, if I don't have headphones in, like guys are constantly trying to oh, chat me up. Like, I'm here to work out. Like, I'm yeah. not here to be stared at. It's a you know, different I, environment, maybe, you'd say to that? Oh, yeah. Our gym is so different. If somebody um, hit on somebody, they get so made fun of. Uh, like, they would get, get destroyed. Yeah, that's not really going to happen much at my gym. There's, I mean, But still, I'll, the women aren't coming, right? They, they, they do. They show okay. up quite a bit because uh, we have women that, that show up on the weekends and stuff. We have okay. people visit us from all over the world. And uh, they still come into the gym, but our guys are, a lot of the women have commented before. They're like, I really like training in here. And they don't care like if they're wearing shorts or like maybe they're self-conscious about, you know, these girls are wearing these little booty shorts nowadays. And a lot of the girls are like, I would never wear these in a regular gym, but I feel comfortable just wearing like whatever, whatever mm-hmm. I want. Because it's about the exercise in the community. It's about lifting heavy. But, but I mean, for the most part, it doesn't really uh, operate the same way a regular gym does. Okay. In any fashion, yeah. So that, that's a part of the community there. So there might be an argument for headphones if you're in a gym and you don't want to get harassed. Yeah, I think I think so. I think there is something to uh, getting a little disconnected to yeah. what you know all the other things that are around you and kind of focusing. But um, I still think you're better off doing stuff with somebody. And if you have headphones on, it make a it a long time ago. Louis Simmons taught us, owner of Westside Barbell. He taught us. Uh, you know, to lift with people. He taught us to be around other people and like that kind of thing. And I think like he always would say that commercial gyms are a waste of time. And he hasn't been in a commercial gym in like 30 years. And I'm like, like, that's great. And that's sort of what Mark, you know, takes, takes those lessons and goes, yeah, like this isn't a gym for me. Think about it. Like if I said, Dave, let's, let's go do pushups right now, just against each other. You'd be like, I I don't really want to, but sure. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. It's just a challenge, like, and, and it's, a, it's a way to get someone exercise, way to get someone involved. And you're a competitive guy, and who knows? Like, a push-up is kind of scalable. I weigh a different weight than you just because I've benched a lot of weight. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to win that push-up contest. Yeah. And so, therefore, I, it makes it fun. I knew we were going to compete. I, I put estrogen in your bulletproof coffee. Sorry, man. Oh, my God. Well, we, <laughs> I thought did, I felt my nipples being a little bit more sensitive. <laughs> when we did our workout the other day, we were doing something as simple as arm circles. And I realized, like, wow, because I have a, a shoulder yeah, issue. Yeah, we these guys. I'm going, Old wow, school. like, I can't even do that. Why am I trying to bend? Like, my shoulder hurts so bad I can barely do that. So, like, yeah. let's do things that are small rather than get hurt. When did calisthenics become that? Yeah, actually, we were just talking about that. I, I had, listened to your stem cell, I've had an ever, and you think, boom, it's the it's the way to go. That's I, I need that. Yeah, those yeah. Old go. And for you, having been an addict, you, you have stem cell. Again, you had a doctor on that does it for chronic pain, I believe. Yeah, we had. See, Harry Adelson's Adel- Adelson? been on. Yeah. Uh, Kristen Camilla has been on uh, talking about stem cells. Uh, we got Matt Cook coming up here. So um, there's. There's I just a, need their info. I'll be there. All right. Good to know. I'll hook you up afterwards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There, there's, there's really, sure. there's, and it's, it's becoming way more affordable than, uh, than it ever has been before. So it used to be like, you know, fly to Germany, like a pro athlete and spend 50 grand. It, it's, it's way cheaper than a hip replacement. Let me put it that yeah, way. Well. All right. Now you, you guys said something else. You, you, you said, you know, you're not at the gym, you kill it, but you started a, a site called the, the war on carbs. <laughs> so are we going to ever win the war on carbs? You know what? I actually really hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and I, we were in uh, Malibu recently. I was out there with my family just enjoying some vacation time. And, and we were hanging out, and we were pulling out of this driveway. And we saw somebody smoking. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow, people still do that? Is that still a thing? I said, my in California? goal, I said, what I, what I want to make my goal is for people to say that about obesity. Like people are still making these bad choices. People are, yeah, that's you know, thing. it's going to take a long time for the education to get out there. Um, it's going to take a long, but hopefully we can at least start to reduce the number of people that are falling into these traps. You know, also, with my, I think with my, with my children, uh, my son is 13, my daughter's nine. From the time they've been very little, I've been communicating with them about nutrition. And it's never like, hey, you can't eat that or you can't do this or can't do that. I just tell them, you know, too much ice cream can when they were really little, I would say, make you sick. Yeah. As they got older, I explained it more. My daughter's nine. I don't want to like get into her psyche, so I've dropped the subject, right? And with my son. But now they make good decisions on their own. Yeah. If you start early, it's a lot, a lot less work. But I mean, the war on drugs has been an abject failure. Yeah, sure. absolutely. <laughs> so Yeah, it's uh, not about like really launching a real war. It's kind of like more, we were kidding around, but we're like saying, in our own mind, if you're looking at something that has like a lot of carbs, you're looking at a piece of cake. You're like, no, I'm on the war on carbs. Like that, that's sort of what we're talking about. Yeah. We're not talking about like not eating like little carbs that you're going to find in your vegetables, right. you know? That's one of the dangers of, of even just the whole keto movement right now. Yeah, it's and hard. One of the guys who helped push keto because it's, it's been so valuable for me. But what I'm talking about is cyclical because the, the immune cells in your brain, the glial cells that like trim extra neurons and provide maintenance in the brain, they actually like carbs. Like they do yeah. better with some carbs. There's something about a keto that I feel like is kind of cultish in a way, and I don't want to be part of something. It shouldn't be that way. I want it to. Yeah. I want to use it as a tool. We shouldn't be throwing stones at each other. So, so give give yeah. me a war on corn syrup. Like, uh, oh, sure. Like, like, let's let's end that. It's sort of more yeah. what we're talking about. War on, a war on bad. You know, like well, the things I'm taking that are, it one person at a time too. Getting one person at a time to commit to walking a little bit more. Getting one person at a time to take care of their sleep a little bit better, 
hydration. Well, he started that food. on his Instagram, hashtag 10-minute walk. And we have all these people losing weight just because every time they eat, they're going on a little bit of walk afterwards. You know How I mean? hard is walking? It's easy. I can even do it. That's impressive given the two hips. Yeah, we walked this morning for an hour, right? Yep. Now, you, I want to talk with you about your documentary, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. And you've got a line in there that you say, is it still cheating if everyone's doing it? Mm-hmm. Is it? I think so. I, I think so. I, I think that um, we, you know, like, look, in, in the sports world, it's become so blurred, especially in something like the UFC. Mm-hmm. Look, you have all these guys like John Jones just failed another drug test. Are you kidding me? It's so disappointing to see that. It's really, really bad. But I said it, I, you know, I said it to my, my friend, my camera guy, who is a big UFC fan. They should just call it Ultimate Entertainment Championship because if it's entertainment, like in the movies, they don't care if people use steroids or not. And he said, well, the real fighters would get really mad at that. And I'm like, I know they would, but like, that's the world we live in now. See, I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I wasn't disappointed at all. Uh, and, and people will probably be mad about this too. I wasn't disappointed when Lance Armstrong got at it. The only thing I was disappointed about is that they lied about it. Yeah. Right. And the only reason they lied is because the people who made the rules forced them to lie. I think I'm in the same boat as you, but I still think that, like, you shouldn't, you know, when Lance had, you know, sued people and done all these other things. Yeah, that that was clearly not okay. Sure. And I I know uh, one of the guys who's done coaching for me was a a Tour de France coach for nine years. Jeff Spencer has been on on the show, a good friend. And, I mean, he was heartbroken because he was taking care of Lance and didn't know, right? Yeah. And and that's one thing. Uh, But it, it actually makes me mad because the... The science, the learnings that we get from people who put their lives at risk by using supplements like this or hormones, or whatever, wouldn't it be nice if they all just said what they were doing and maybe even vetted it with a panel of doctors and yeah. shared the data sure. so that all of humanity could learn from these people? Because if they're doing well, it and no one even benefits and then they die, like, okay, back. it was entertaining, but like all the knowledge was lost. And if, if your mission, look, I'm going to kick ass at any cost, and I'm willing to, to take five years off my life. By the way, they did a survey of gold medalists. And almost to a T, they're all like, yeah, of course I would live five years less if I can hit the gold medal, because that's what matters most to me. And, and they're like, well, we're going to stop you. And you're a 45-year-old competing mm-hmm. against 25-year-olds, and you must have old man testosterone instead of 30-year-old testosterone. Like, that's actually, like, that's masochistic. And so I think you're taught, when you say, like, uh, you weren't disappointed, that that's... I think a different like rule, like a different rule set. Like yeah. I'm saying, like if the rule says you can't use steroids and you use steroids, then you broke the rule, right? Yeah. But maybe they should change the rules. I think go. that's it, that's rules, where we got to look at. The rules are the problem, and it it, it from a sportsman perspective, yes, it's disappointing. But setting up a system, where the it's people, a failed, it's a broken system. We need to problem. change the rules. Yeah, and and you know perhaps we do say, look, these substances are so dangerous that. You know, we have a special class. Like, if you're going to use them, like, it's your body. Do whatever the hell sure. you want. And you're going to show up. And, and then you get the counterpoint. It's like, okay. Well, we find, then, we've also he, found that yeah. steroids in, in um, certain doses aren't that bad. Like, they're, they're not that negative. But because we forced it into a black market, yeah. you can't go to a medical doctor and be like, look, I want to race as fast as I can. I want to take this, 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 and this mm-hmm. because it's my body and that's what I want to do. Yeah. You just can't do that. So what is everybody doing? They're just doing it haphazardly. They're yeah. not... They're not doing it correctly. They're not even. They're not. They don't know what's going on in their body when they take something, and that's they're in lies a problem. Girl, for health. you get the proper hormones for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it depends on what, what your goal that's, is, right? That's a, it's a fair point, and I actually would put all of that in the realm of biohacking. The, the, the definition I wrote when when I was first coming up with that term, 
and, and just building a movement around biohacking is it's like it's the art and science of changing the environment around your body and inside your body so you have full control of your own biology period so full control means you know you want to you want to change from one gender to another that's full control you want to be the most powerful fighter on earth that's full control you want to be the strongest you know like the strongest man on earth look there's trade-offs on any of these things yeah. right me yeah, i want to live to 180 years old uh, and you know still be functioning on that age right all of those are, are different goals the tool sets are the same but to just sort of randomly say you are allowed to pursue your goal but you're not allowed to use the most powerful tools because someone else might also do that like that just doesn't strike me as what humans do it never yeah. has you know, in 1982, Dan Duchesne was the steroid guru in Venice Beach who wrote the Underground Steroid Handbook. And when he yeah, wrote that, <laughs> when he wrote that, he said to people, this is a revolution. This is going to change the world. And he truly believed it. He wasn't thinking about, he wasn't thinking of like, I'm a dirty underground drug dealer. He was just thinking, these are all the tools that people need in order to get here. And everybody can start using them. So everybody started using steroids because of Dan Duchesne in the Venice area. I actually bought the rights to the book Steroid Nation. I'm making a scripted television cool. show out of this show, um, Steroid Nation, because I think people need to know this. Dan Duchesne didn't only, he, I, in my treatment for it, in my pitch, it says he was the, the world's like original biohacker because he was, nice. he was the guy, sure. he was a guy doing it to himself before anybody else like sort of, I'm sure there's Taking a million people, stuff. a million people before him too, but in the steroid world, he was sort of the guy, right? There, and he a, was upset when his revolution was was uh, yeah. de, well, not debunked, I should say. It was like not debunked. His revolution was uh, squashed, kind of, by like the death of Lyle Alzado and a lot of other things that happened. Where he's like, you, you guys were part of the revolution. What do you, when Lyle Alzado lied about steroids killing him, like that crushed, you know, Duchesne. That crushed his like, you know, thought of like, this is supposed to be a revolution. These are supposed to be things that can help us, not things that are hurting us. And I think that um, he also was a little bit twisted and he would take things way too far. And that's well, where we get into danger and trouble. innovators do, but I gotta tell you, you know how many people died learning how to have airplanes? Like thousands of people died learning how to fly. I was just right? thinking that when we flew in here because the planes land on the water. I'm like, who's yeah. the first guy that did that? And <laughs> here's the deal. When you're an innovator, you take risks like that. And uh, you remind me of this infographic uh, when, when I was first defining biohacking. I'm like, where does the knowledge come from? Powerlifting, bodybuilding, the radical anti-aging movement, U.S. military special forces, endurance athletes, animal husbandry. <laughs> like, there's a lot of knowledge because you can test on you know on a million cows. Yeah. You lose money if you're not doing it right. So there's all these sets of knowledge that, that have never been brought together. And so absolutely some of the original biohackers out there yeah. um, are he was military more, and bodybuilding. And he was more of a specific biohacker yeah. to like, I'm going to figure out the steroid yeah. thing or the hormone I'm thing. I have control of this aspect of my biology. And he did. I mean, the guy was you know, a, a wall of muscle. We had a guy on Mark's podcast the other day. And mm -hmm. he was talking about like, oh, yeah, Dan Duchesne, Gatorade and bacon diet. And we're like, I don't even want to know how that works. <laughs> I just don't even want to know. Yeah. You know. I actually tried to Google it and I couldn't find it because afterwards I was interested. But and the thing is, if your goal is is not health, but something else, right? It's your it's your life. It's your goal. Absolutely. You're going to do what you're going to do, and that's why I want to ask. I you think that we question. need to be fair yeah. too. Like when we when we are helping people or when we're talking, like, look, is it what's the goal, right? And I think that Mark has taught me that there's a lot you can learn from from people younger than me, my younger brother taught me a lot because he would always say, yeah, but you're missing the point. What's your goal? Like, I'd say, oh, I can't deadlift anymore. He'd be like, who cares, dude? You got to get that out of your head. You're not a power lifter anymore. You're, 
you're a great filmmaker. And it took a long time for me to accept that maybe I was good at something besides lifting weights. And that was a personal thing. That was something that like when I started, when I was young, I was really good at lifting weights. And it's the only thing that like I was, you know, I was short, I was fat, I wasn't pretty, you know, like all the things. So like I, when I found lifting, it was, a, I was the strongest kid in my school. I could bench press 400 pounds raw in high school. Didn't never took a steroid until I was like 28 years old or something like that. So like I was just way stronger than everybody. And it gave me so much confidence that I think in the end where I got what I actually wanted to be a filmmaker, I didn't care because I couldn't bench 500 pounds. I couldn't, I was just, you know, I was like a failure still. Yeah, but well, my goals changed, but I didn't realize it until later on. That's what scares me the most about the, the sort of bigger, stronger, faster perspective is that the decisions you'll make when you're 20 about what matters, your prefrontal cortex finishes 23, 24. And, and I, I have a great concern about uh, people who really should have healthy steroid levels like I should have when I was 26, um, going out there and using steroids. And mm -hmm. even some of the, the more aggressive smart drugs like, don't do that because you're you're going to care about different things. I, I learned so much running an anti-aging nonprofit group. So here it is, I'm like 30 years old and I become like president of this group and most of our, our members are 60 plus. One of my board members is 88 and dating a 35 year old. <laughs> and But I'm like, what they care about when they're old and, and to a T, you talk to you know your elders and they're like, I really wish I had known that when I was younger because I'm sure. still recovering from the crap I did. I'm when sure I was you have a lot of people that are like yeah. in their 20s yeah. that will probably comment on your stuff or say stuff, and and it's like, but like you don't have the same goals, but they think that maybe you do. Like you know, yeah. like well, he doesn't even lift, bro. You know, like that kind of thing, or like yeah. he, it's like, it's, but that's not your, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to be huge. Yeah. The goal isn't to be to live long. Yeah, and part of my mission with with Bulletproof here is is just to be like, look. If someone would have told me all the stuff I know now when I was 20, it would have saved me a lot of effort and a lot of struggle. Exactly. So if I can share that knowledge and I can tell you, look, this is a lot of risk. This is going to work with less risk and still get you get you there. Like that's the stuff that's the most precious. So I, I hope. I think when I was young, I didn't listen to those people. I'd be like, ah, those guys, you know, because we'd always see the old guy in the gym yeah. going, I used to bench 500. Like I, he would say, I never want to be that guy. And as we're turning into that guy. It's uh, you. You definitely change your goals. You have yeah, to. You do, and that's the risk. Of, or you'll be miserable. That's the risk of making short-term decisions about like very powerful steroids or something when you're younger. And that is the the, the counter argument to this. Like, let people do what they want. Mm -hmm. it, it's that it is your body, and if you make really bad decisions in your 20s, whether it's about addiction, <laughs> whether it's about you ripping your pecs over and over, you do pay for it. So I'm. I'm you're 44. Yeah. So so am I. So we're right at the same age, right? So. Uh, when I was younger, though, the goal was always like bigger, stronger, faster. Mm -hmm. Now, now that I went through addiction and almost died, like hell yeah, the goal is to live longer. You know, <laughs> like it, it's really, really changed everything that I do. And also, I say sobriety has been the best teacher for me to go on a ketogenic diet or any sort of plan, any program. It doesn't matter what program it was. Learning how to say no to alcohol and drugs when I was so addicted to it. Uh, learning how to just walk away, learning how to not let that affect my psyche, uh, learning what caused it and all the things that caused it. You're like, wait, the fact that I'm jealous of somebody might have caused this. The fact that I'm angry about something somebody did when I was like eight years old to me. But the fact that somebody kicked my ball into the woods <laughs> is what caused me to be this asshole. Like, I don't want to be that anymore. So you consciously make decisions because we have what? Education and we have experience. It, you nailed it. And I'll tell you right now, all of the trolls on the internet 
were bullied in high school. Yeah. Seriously, that that's how it works. The psychology is abundantly clear. And when you just learn your, your old stories there, if you get pleasure out of that, like you're getting even with that guy in seventh grade. And a ton of entrepreneurs are also people who were bullied in high school. Like yeah. they're going to get even. Yeah. You, you have the same thing going on with the powerlifter. I'm right. not going to happen to me. And right. it's interesting when you switch out of that. You're like, I'm going to do it for another reason. I think that's when the gloves really come off. But we're, we're coming up on the end of the show, and it's been kind of cool to talk about, you know, addiction and making films and steroids and powerlifting, kind of to go mm -hmm. all over the place, talking about the, the keto project you guys are working on. So I want to ask you both a question uh, that is, you know, the bulletproof standard question. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. And uh, let's talk, Mark, first. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, based on everything that you know your whole life, I want to perform better as a human being, you know, not just as a powerlifter. Uh, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you tell them? Well, man, that's an awesome question. Uh, number one, I would, I would say something I've learned in the last maybe year is the only thing that you can truly give somebody is information. So I sell products. You sell products. You have a book. Um, but if you share with somebody... Uh, information that they can actually utilize, they can use that their whole life. You know, a bulletproof bar or a slingshot, you're going to use it for so long, or maybe you won't use it, maybe you'll forget about it, maybe it'll sit in your closet, or maybe it'll sit on your gym floor, and you're not going to really use it all the time. But if I give you information or inspire you, then I can help you change your life. So I, I kind of have a, miss, a mission of, I always tell people, inspire, don't just instruct. Anyone can instruct, anyone can learn something. Uh, and, and take a weekend course and kind of instruct somebody on better form or better technique for X, Y, or Z. Uh, but to really truly inspire somebody to get up off the couch and to start moving and start doing different things. So you say inspire and inform is your first Yeah, I would say that that's, uh, that's definitely number one. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, personal development. You know, just you need time to yourself. Mm -hmm. You need time to yourself every single day. Uh, the most important person in the room is yourself, always. First and foremost, they say, you know, when you're on a plane, uh, they say, you know, to uh, put the mask on before you put it on your child. And that's because if you're debilitated, you can't help your kid. And so if I'm debilitated, I, I can't I can't help other people. And that's part of the mission right now is to be able to help and assist other people. So I would say personal development is huge. And for me, personal development means uh, reading books, sitting down, listening to some YouTube videos or, or listening to some podcasts. Uh, going for a walk and just having music on or just even sometimes just sitting in silence and doing zero. Uh, the, third, the third thing that I would recommend to people is, and this is, I think, the most important piece of the puzzle uh, for everybody, is to go home and love your family. If you want to have a big impact on the world, it, it, starts, it, it, it starts with yourself, making sure you're strong enough to handle the things that you need, uh, but it really starts with your family. If if I'm important to uh, somebody in Germany that wants to power lift, that's really cool. And if I help somebody lose 50 pounds that lives in New York, that's also really cool. But the coolest thing of all is to be uh, somebody in the eyes of my kids and the eyes of my wife. So go home and love your family is number three. Love it. Yeah. All right. So now it's time to beat your little brother. Yeah. <laughs> I think on, on that same note, what he said, it does have a lot to do with community and family. When I was a drug addict and alcoholic, I was just completely disconnected. Mm -hmm. And when I got reconnected with Mark and uh, my girlfriend, Lauren, they're the ones that pulled me out of addiction. You know, so when I reconnected with them and I was like, oh, I really love these people, 
they talk about being around the, the five people that you're around. I try to keep working those people into my circles. Like how many times I hit you up? You know why? Because we want to be like, we want to. Yeah, well, well, I mean, that's because we are trying, like we hit up Joe Rogan all the time. We hit up, like he, he talks to Dana White and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like we, we meet these people, we're like these are the people we want to be in with. Like, so I'm not bothering them, but like, I'm just saying like, I, I, I want to. Now you go on Bulletproof Radio, you might have a hard time with one of those other things. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, oh yeah, yeah, oh, Rogan, yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, just, Hey, look, people have beefs with each other, right? We don't, but I, I try to stay right my Say my name, baby, say my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, no, I just, I feel like, um, like having that group of people, right? And, but for me, it's more like, you, you know, I have this group of people now. I have my brother, I have my girlfriend, I have my cameraman, and yeah. his wife are my producing, my producing team. Nice. And kind of like, that's like the five people that are around me the most. And then I have... Uh, my friend who's my producer on my movie as well, Kelly, those are the people that are around me the most that uh, I really have learned to value like what they're saying and what they're saying about me. Another really big thing that you know people say, I don't, like I'm making this movie, I don't care what anybody thinks of it, or I'm doing this project, I don't care what anybody thinks, and I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Screw everybody. It's the worst attitude to ever have. All I care about is what people think. The only thing I really care about is when I walk out of this room, what you say about me to other people, because that's the impression that I left on you. If I leave a bad impression, if I leave bad ideas behind, if I leave dumb ideas, if I leave uneducated, stupid sayings or you know, <laughs> things that like I'm just spitting out garbage, mm-hmm. you can walk away and be like, that guy, Chris Bell, is so full of shit. But if I come in here and my passion can influence you in a way or make you think in a different way or maybe I ask a challenging question, it's like I leave and go, those guys were pretty cool. That was fun, you know. I look for that, you know. And then I think like um, the third, the third thing comes from uh, our friend The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Always be the hardest working guy in the room, you know. That there there's nothing. There, there's you are proof of that. Mark is proof of that. I am starting a little bit back because I had a, a drug and alcohol problem that I've since been able to conquer. Um, People say that you can't conquer it, that you never conquer it. I think that's a lie. I, I'm done with it. It's done. It's gone. If it comes back, it comes back, but it's gone for now. So why, why relish in it, right? So I, I think, you know, always be the hardest working person around. And I've, I've learned that that's been something uh, in the past six months. It's just, for me, the workload. I've been giving myself a bigger workload. I've been trying to take on more responsibility because I want to get to that point where I'm just so busy that nobody can get in touch with me like you guys. <laughs> uh, you might get what you ask for. Be careful. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> On that <right>. last one. <laughs> yeah. yeah as, as long as you're allocating your time uh, in a way that, uh, that gives you energy and you're busy, it, it's, it's amazing. I should say my biggest, the biggest gift I've ever been given is uh, this talent that I have that I've been, I believe I've been just given it like to make films, to influence yeah. people with, with the media that we have because I just think media is so... Uh, powerful, and I just think um, my um, my brother's wife, Andy, her mom came to me crying and said, uh, after I got out of rehab, I'm going to cry saying it. She said, "Don't lose that gift." Nice. What? A, like you, you almost lost it. Don't lose that gift. And I'm like, man, that that, that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And I think that that's what we need to look for. You have a gift. He has a gift. So, so we you, can't we can't that schedule, squander that. Schedule yourself with your gift, not with trivial crap. That's a mistake I've certainly made. So. What do you mean by trivial crap? Well, it, What's it, important? Well, if you have, you know, 16 hours in the day you're going to schedule, let's say, assuming you sleep the normal amount, you schedule time for your family. 
schedule time to take care of your hardware, the stuff we were just talking about, right? And you schedule every other minute doing the stuff that gives you the most energy that creates the most value. But if you schedule it to wash your socks, you schedule it to do your dishes, to go grocery shopping, and those are all things that have to get done that are valuable to get done and that you will go do if you're the only one who can do it, right? And that's the case for a lot of us. But if you're fortunate enough to have people in your life who can support you that way while you make a film, then you go work hard on a film. Don't work hard on stuff that's not your gift. That's what I'm saying. Amazing. So yeah. just a, just a, I don't normally give feedback. No, on, thank on you. Advice, I, but I appreciate it. I hear you say that you want to be that busy. Never be that busy. Yeah, no, I, I'm it's saying, with your gift. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's so, that's what I want to be busy. I keep telling him like all I want to do is keep making, yeah. keep making movies, keep making content, keep educating people, yeah. and learning myself. You know. Yeah. So so don't lose that gift and use it to its fullest. That's that's yeah. a that's an awesome one. All right, guys, uh, one more question for you. Uh, real simple one. Uh, I guess we need two different URLs. Where can people find out more about your work? Uh, let's start with you, Mark. Oh, just uh, tell people where I'm at, basically. Yeah, just how can they find you? If people they yeah. hear now, they're like, I want to know more from this guy. Where do yeah, they go? Instagram, I'm at Mark Smelly Bell. Twitter, same, at Mark Smelly Bell. And then uh, you can check out all my products at howmuchyoubench.net. You can also check out my YouTube youtube.com backslash supertraining06 or just google supertraining06 and it will pop up thousands and thousands of instructional uh, informative videos so go check all that out and we'll put all the links in the show notes for you so you go to the blog this will all be categorized for you sure. all right and let's talk about some film URLs. yeah people sure people more. can find me at big strong fast uh, all three of my well four of my films one of my actually was just an executive producer so there's Bigger, Stronger, Faster, which is about steroids, basically. Mm-hmm. And steroids in the American dream, I would say. Right. Trophy Kids, which is about you know how to not parent your kid through sports. <laughs> that was on HBO. I actually yeah. did that with uh, Peter Berg, and that's actually available on Netflix also. And then Prescription Thugs, which is really covers the opiate epidemic. Mm-hmm. And then because of Prescription Thugs, I also executive produced a movie called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake that's available on Netflix, which I just thought was an awesome project about the former WWE wrestler Jake the Snake who became a crack addict, and this is sort of his recovery story. Wow. And it's coming, a great movie. It really is a great movie. Coming up in January, or February around that, I have a new film called The Leaf of Faith. Uh, when I made Prescription Thugs, there was no answer in sight for the opiate epidemic, but I found it. It's called Kratom. It's a plant. It comes from Southeast Asia. takes people out of pain, gets people off of opiates, and does all sorts of great stuff. And so we're going to basically be exploring that. And the film, we just finished it, and so we're just sort of figuring out how to place it and where to, what to do with it. I hear questions online on, on my social channels and all pretty often about Kratom. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that film. I've, with still, the, I've tried the stuff you gave me. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. So, uh, so with, with the amount of knowledge that. and the amount of, uh, like with this journey that I went on, I think people would be really shocked with what we've come up with. Very, very cool. Well, guys, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you so you much for having us. Yeah, awesome. Great. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to bulletproof.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right to the link for this page, and you can just give us a five-star rating. That tells everyone else on YouTube that the show was worth your time to listen to today. And that's the bar that's set here. Because if we waste your time in the last hour of your time, uh, and you know, a couple, I have no idea how many people are going to listen to this, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, that's hundreds of thousands of lost hours of human life or improved hours of human life. So if we're crossing that bar, leave a rating. I'd be grateful and check out the work from both of these guys. It's worth your time. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.